Welcome to Overlooked, a podcast produced by Tunuka Media. My name is Yemi, and I will be your host for the show. Released weekly, I share Overlooked stories from around the world with you. This will include the good, the bad, the weird, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast to your regular podcast rotation, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect on social media. Just search for Tunuka Media. That is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. If you learned something new, kindly support the show. Give Overlooked a like or a high rating. This would really help the show grow and get more people like you to learn something new. Finally, if you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please don't hesitate to share them. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Overlooked. Hope you guys have had an awesome week. In this episode, I have a few stories for you, so let's jump right in. In India, at least 20 soldiers passed away in a bloody brawl with Chinese troops on Monday in the Gaoan Valley close to Aksai Chin, an area controlled by China but claimed by both India and China. China also suffered some casualties. Both sides have accused the other of overstepping the de facto border, so-called the line of actual control. The line runs along the western sector of the valley. The details of what happened still remains muddy, but it may obviously never become clear. According to one Indian source that connected with CNN, the recent squabble started after a Chinese tent that was constructed on Sunday night was torn down by Indian troops. By the next day, Chinese troops, armed with stones and bamboo sticks in real old-school fashion, returned and attacked the unprepared Indian troops. The area under contention, Akasai Chin, where this took place, is claimed as part of Xinjiang, China, and Ladka by India. It is cold, inhospitable, and it's draped in snow with temperatures around freezing, even in summertime. Located high in the Himalayas, the average altitude is about 14,000 feet or 4,200 meters for those that measure it that way. And it's almost double the height of where altitude sickness may kick in, which means that any humans in the area have to undergo tedious gradual acclimatization or else they're likely to suffer crippling headaches, nausea, or fatigue. Even with all of this, British historian Neville Maxwell in his book, on the disputed territory describes it as a no-man's land where nothing grows and no one lives. And yet, India and China went to war over it in 1962. Sparked by long-standing historical territorial disagreements, a lot of these disagreements remain till this day. In recent weeks, China and Indian troops have been locked in an aggressive posturing on multiple occasions along the two nations' de facto border. This has raised tensions between these two nations that actually have nuclear arms. Over the past 10 years, India has been boosting its border infrastructure, which new roads and air bases inaugurated in remote Himalayan areas. These activities may have triggered recent tensions, but again, it still remains unclear.
In Mali, tens of thousands of people have gathered in the country's capital of Bamako to demand the resignation of President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita, responding to the call for the country's newly re-emerged opposition. President Keita, who is currently 75 years old, is under pressure from citizens over his failures to contain a jihadist insurgency that re-emerged in northern Mali in 2012 and spread to the fragile center of the West African state. Since 2012, thousands of soldiers and civilians have died, and hundreds of thousands have fled their homes. But the slow pace of political reforms, a fledgling economy, and widely shared perception of government corruption have also fed into anti-Kata movement. This sharpening political divide has started to worry the country's neighbors, who are concerned that further instability could inflame an already volatile situation. A delegation from the Economic Community of West African States, otherwise known as ECOWAS, met Mali's Prime Minister as well as opposition figures on Thursday and Friday this week in a bid to diffuse tensions. So when you do the crime, you do the time, right? That's the general saying. But how does that really stack up when the criminal is an alcoholic monkey? Well, in this story, a monkey named Kalua has been sentenced to life in prison. You'll hear why. According to reports, the animal has bitten over 250 people. One of his victims even passed away. Kalua is a pet monkey, and he was owned by an occultist, which is someone who believes in the existence of supernatural powers and power of magic. And that occultist regularly gave Kalua alcohol. The monkey eventually became an alcoholic. After his owner passed away, Kalua became aggressive when the flow of alcohol stopped, so his cravings could not be met. He went on a rampage across the Mirzapur district in India and bit everyone he came across. It was also noted that the monkey had a tendency to attack women's faces and would also attack other monkeys if put in the same cage with them. Now, months after being captured and put into the equivalent of a drunk detoxification tank, he remains incredibly aggressive towards people especially. It has been decided by local authorities that rather than release him into the wild and risk him attacking other animals and people, he would spend the rest of his life in isolation at the Kampor Zoo. It is a bizarre and tragic situation. Kalua is just 6 years old, and so monkeys can live from anywhere between 15 years and several decades, depending on species and other factors. Kalua is essentially serving a life sentence for his crimes. In this story, I really do think everyone sucks here, starting with his previous owner who gave him alcohol. That was a horrible thing to do. That's my opinion. Let me know yours. What do you think? Kenya has been elected a non-permanent member of the UN Security Council, defeating Djibouti for one of the seats designated for African countries. Fifteen countries sit on the Security Council, the UN organ responsible for maintaining international peace and security. Five of the UN Security Council seats are permanent while the remaining ten are not. The five permanent members have the right to veto resolutions and these members are China, France, Russia, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Together, these countries contributed to just under half of the organization's funding in 2019. The 10 non-permanent members are elected by the General Assembly for two-year terms, with five elected each year. 
combined, the non-permanent members contributed less than 5% to the UN's budget in 2019. Africa represents 28% of the United Nations membership, but holds 20% of the Security Council's seats. None of the three designated seats for the African region are permanent. The most recent elections, which are taking place to select five new non-permanent members to serve on the Security Council, are based on regional groupings. Joining Kenya, India, Ireland, Mexico, and Norway were also selected. These five countries replaced Belgium, Dominican Republic, Germany, Indonesia, and South Africa. Estonia, Niger, St. Vincent and the Grenadines, Tunisia, and Vietnam will remain in the Council through the end of 2021. For more information on the United Nations, regional groupings, funding, and the calls for a reform to the membership in the permanent season on the UN Security Council to improve democratization, see the link that I have placed in the show notes. Saturday, June 20th, was World Refugee Day. The theme for 2020 is Every Action Counts. The COVID-19 pandemic and the recent anti-racism protests have shown us that we desperately need to fight for a more inclusive and equal world, a world where no one is left behind. It has never been more clear that all of us have a role to play in order to bring about actual change. Everyone can make a difference. Every minute, 20 people leave everything behind to escape war, persecution, or terror. There are several types of forcibly displaced people, including refugees, asylum seekers, internally displaced people, stateless people, and returnees. The following stories have been highlighted in recognition of World Refugee Day. In Syria, a record number of people are food insecure and struggling with rapidly increasing food prices. The German Federal Foreign Office has now provided 130 million euros, or about 145 million US dollars, enough money to provide life-saving humanitarian assistance to 4.8 million people. After more than nine years of conflict, Syrian families have exhausted their savings and are being pushed further into hunger and poverty by a deteriorating economy and rapidly increasing food prices. COVID-19 pushed prices even higher as families started to panic buy and many lost their jobs overnight, putting immense pressure on already vulnerable families. As of June 2020, the average price of basic food items has increased by over 200%. This includes stable food items such as rice, bulgur, and wheat, which have seen some of the most significant increases. Humanitarian needs across Syria are dramatically increasing, and the latest data from the World Food Program estimates that 9.3 million Syrians are now food insecure, an increase in 1.4 million in the last six months alone. Funding from Germany is instrumental to ensure that the World Food Program can continue to reach families under increasing price pressure. But more is definitely needed and more can be done. In Yemen, about 75% of UN programs have had to shut their doors or reduce operations as the coronavirus rips through the country. The global body's World Food Program had to cut its rations in half and UN-funded health services were reduced in 189 out of 369 hospitals around the nation. Dwindling funds are the result of several factors, but among the top reason is obstruction by Yemen's Houthi rebels, which control the capital of Sana'a and other territories. 
The United States, one of the biggest donors, decreased its aid to Yemen earlier this year, citing interference by the Houthis. To ensure that these people don't go forgotten, you can help. You can help by keeping informed and raising awareness on issues going on in Yemen and Syria, sharing the references that I am going to link to in the show notes. You can also sign online petitions, such as the one called Stop the War and End the Famine in Yemen, which currently has about 1.5 million signatures on change.org. You can also make financial donations to organizations providing services. This include, but are not limited to, the UNRefugees.org, SaveTheChildren.org, SAMS-USA.net, ProjectHope.org, Islamic-Relief.org, Baitulmal.org. All of these will be included in the show notes. The humanitarian crisis happening in both Syria and Yemen deserve more coverage than they are being afforded right now. They need your help. This is not a Dem versus Osh problem. It is a human problem, a global problem. It is our problem. This brings us to the end of this week's episode. Have yourselves a blessed, blessed week. Bye. As a reminder, the podcast is released weekly. Subscribe or follow across social media to be notified when a new episode is released. Overlooked is a Tunuka Media production, which also includes shows like Africa in My Kitchen, with more on the way. Follow Tunuka Media on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter to connect to say hi or to be on the forefront of upcoming shows and program schedules. Until next time, I'm your host, Yemi. Wishing you a better tomorrow.